exploring faith journeys and hearing of inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God, you are listening to The Cumberland Road. I am your host, T.J. Melanoski. Reverend Matthew Ingram is the minister at the Alabaster Cumberland Presbyterian Church outside of Birmingham, Alabama. Ordained in 2017 and moving to Alabaster a few months before the pandemic, Matthew shares experiencing many firsts in his life and his focus to overcome and to thrive during these new experiences. Our conversation leads into how formative it was to grow up in the church and have both parents actively involved in the life of the congregation. It is from this upbringing, Matthew shares, that he carries with him that the community of believers can offer to everyone a sense of belonging, a space to be loved, and people where you can express your doubts and ask questions. You are listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast, and this is my conversation with Matthew Ingram. Matthew Ingram, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Uh, share with me a little bit who you are and uh, where do you live and uh, what does ministry look like for you today? Well, I um, I am the, the pastor at the First Presbyterian Church of Alabaster, uh, considering that this is uh, a podcast listened by many Cumberlands throughout. Uh, you may remember this church as the Elliottsville Church um, down, in, down in Alabaster. Um, I've been here, you know, since right before the pandemic, but actually grew up in the, in a church called the Spring Creek Church, which is only about five minutes from this church. Uh, so being here is, is like being home, but kind of not being home. And so I'm enjoying this, um, this time of ministry. I'm able to see family and friends who I grew up with, but I'm able to, to do a ministry with people that I don't know as well. And with families that I, I you know, are, are kind of fresh to me in many ways. And we, we can work together to do a lot of things without some of that history. Yeah. So what is that like? Are you having to reorient your life? Is it like moving into a brand new community or is it a community that's familiar to you? And I mean, community in terms of knowing the streets and knowing the good places to eat and where, where to get your car worked on and schools. Um, but also, you know, maybe not knowing, you know, the, the people. Uh, so what is that like? It is a little, it is, it's been a little odd. I mean, like I said, 2019, so everything's been odd the past couple of years, <laughs> but uh, the one thing that was odd, even from the beginning was, um, that I grew up and just, this is, this is all South of Birmingham, Alabama, um, just about 20, 25 minutes away from the city, but we're kind of in the area where the suburbs meet the, the rural. Uh, and so I grew up in a somewhat rural environment 
um, that's a little further south than the Alabaster Church is. That's in the it, it has different names, but um, Montevallo is actually where I grew up. I went to a small private school. Uh, the thing is, I know all the streets. I've had friends who've lived in Alabaster all over. I know where the roads are. I know everything is familiar um, as far as where to go and what to do. But it's also different because my actual community involvement from when I was a kid was all in the Montevallo community. I went to college at Montevallo, which is more the town I grew up in. So most of my connections or family or friends that I have in the community are not from the Alabaster community, more roots in the Montevallo one. So it is like going into a new community, a new place uh, to, you know, trying to meet new people that I haven't met before, trying to get involved in just what the Alabaster people are doing is different than the people that I remember and have been involved with forever. So it's, it's a little odd. I know where I'm going when somebody wants to meet me, but I find it funny that I've never met them before. Okay. I get it. So, you know, the map, you know how to get around town, but in terms of the social aspect and in the relational aspect, it's just like serving in a brand new community. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and I, like I said, I grew up in a CP church, not far from here. And so I did know some of the, the kids, uh, and from camps and stuff when I was younger. And so there are familiar faces at this church. Cause we did do things here at Elliotsville before the name was changed. Um, but I never got to know them well enough. So it's, there's a familiarity, but also a, a real new getting to know people. Right. Starting, but again. it is funny when they look at me and say, Oh, I remember, I remember all the days we played softball with your granddad. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Tell me about it. <laughs> we'll talk for a few minutes about, uh, serving a church, beginning to serve a church on the front end of the pandemic. So when did you start at Alabaster? I'm, we moved, um, back down here on August the 1st of 2019. Um, and anybody who's moved into a church, especially as a, as a minister, knows the the kind of time frame it takes. Like first, the first month or so, you're really just trying to get the boxes uh, open at your house. Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure out, um, you know, we're trying to get the kid. The, I have three kids. We were trying to get them into schools. We were trying to figure out the pickup routines and all that kind of stuff. So we were just trying to get settled as we started. And also in that time, starting to try to learn names and faces. And one of the, one of the truths of any church is that, um, not everybody who comes, comes on the same day, unless it's Easter, you know? So <laughs> right, right. I come during one season and I see this 75% of people who come more regularly during that season. And so then I miss out on a few people who are part of the church who just happen to come more often in different phases that that's that's a very normal thing in churches uh and so every week was meeting someone new and and so i was meeting and meeting up with some other pastors in the area i was meeting the church people was starting to get stuff moving and try to get stuff together uh i'd started uh doing this lenten lunch series as an ecumenical thing from like 
area ministers, really more like the Montevallo area ministers. Mm-hmm. And um, before, like before the second week of those on Wednesdays, we had all pretty much made the decision that it was time to, to cut for COVID. Mm-hmm. And we talked here as a session, and we decided to do the same thing. So the way I like to say it is I moved into a church just long enough to see everybody's face and hear their name once. <laughs> and then I immediately had to go six months without seeing anybody or talking to them face to face, really. So looking at uh, this time that you've been able to serve Alabaster Church and during the time of a pandemic, um, with a little retrospect, would you say you yourself, have you thrived? Um, have you had missteps? And then for the church as well, um, have you guys been thriving? What worked? What didn't work? And uh, what are you looking to in in the near future? Well, um, uh, something about, uh, I think um, every minister has, I don't think any minister should do everything. That's a clear path to burnout. But I do think every minister is is gifted in more ways than just what you think of, as in whether it's preaching or visiting. There's usually some other aspect of the ministry in an actual church building that they're good at, uh, whether that be music or whether that be technology or, um, you know, the myriad of other things that we do in a, or teaching, those sorts of things that come on the side. Yeah, they can't do all of it, but um, I am more on the technology side. I've done a lot of stuff with um with computers. I worked at a software company for a little while. I did a whole lot of uh, things uh, outside of here that involved technology. And so uh, when the COVID uh, thing just started and we had to make that quick decision to shut down, be knowing technology and having a music minister here at the time who was young and knew it too, we were able to work together and pivot in a day and a half to get the few things we needed and the software stuff together to do a stream um, with slides and with everything to look really pretty solid. Like we'd worked on it for a while. We were able to get that together really quickly. Wow. So uh, what you've done in 2020 in terms of the tech side, how much of that is still in existence and being used here in 2022? All of it. We've actually upgraded uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, I've always wanted to do streaming uh, because I thought that it was even before we all knew what it was exactly and how to do it. I always thought it was, it's the 21st century version of the, of a CD ministry or a cassette ministry, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's what it is. It's, it's okay. Now, instead of just giving you an audio copy of this and a tape player, we have a video version and you can, if you're, homebound or you're sick you you know you can tune in and you Mm -hmm. can at least keep up with what the church is doing and and hear something good that day right Um, it's weird to think that you can carry matthew ingram and the alabaster church in your pocket or purse and take take him take him around anywhere that you where wherever you are (laughs) wherever you're going it sounds creepier when you say it like that to be honest (laughs) Uh, but it was always a nice thought that that anybody who couldn't be here for whatever reason would right. be able to uh, not only hear the sermon, but actually experience the whole service in a televised capacity. So 
we'd already been thinking about doing that. And so um, that was really uh, a part where we thrived, you know, as new, of course, it was a little weird learning how to, um, you know, they teach in seminary and speech classes in college and stuff, how to keep eye contact with a whole room of people when you're doing a speech. And you learn that as a minister at a pulpit, it's a, it's, it, there's a bit of a learning curve, learning how to just stare at a camera. Mm-hmm. the same exact spot all the time so that people at home think you're actually looking at them <laughs> at home that was a bit of a, a change but um no that part of the the pandemic where i i find that a lot of the the a lot of other ministers that i knew at the time that's where they started to struggle and feel the burnout was how do i keep the church connected how do i have to work on this technology stuff and how do i get it up and running so that we can not lose time um together uh that was one of the places where i thought we me and and the the few people here who were really able to help do that really took off and and were good at Hmm. um and and i think the things changed for us a lot as we've started to come out and a very slow um it's a, a very slow walk out of that tent of pandemic because it's kind of like uh i don't know it feels like it feels like uh you know um noah on the ark who keeps sending out the dove and it keeps coming back with nothing like it feels like that's what it kind of felt like it's like all right let me put some out there is it ready to get started getting back to normal and then you don't get much and then send it out again and send it out again now's really the first time where it feels like we've seen a little more we've gotten something back some some branches things are starting to feel like they're a little bit more back to normal and uh we're we're starting to make the moves that um we were really hoping to start at the beginning of 2020 before we had to pull back everything that's right because you know as a minister you know you you know, are embarking on this new ministry in this new location with these new group of people to be able to serve. And um, all those aspirations, all those plans, all those visioning and discernment has really been put on hold up until, you know, in the last few months. So is there a level of excitement looking forward? Uh, there's a level of excitement, uh, but also uh, there's some anxiety. There's some nervousness there. Hmm. Uh, really because, you know, I, I, I've only been, I I was ordained in 2017. So this is my third church. I was at one church for a year and a half while I finished seminary. I was at a church in Kentucky for two years, and then I've been here for two and a half. So, um, you know, I'm, I would consider myself fairly new to the game that point um and yes uh pandemic was a first for everyone but i'm really kind of just now as i'm getting connected to this community we're making choices there are a lot of other firsts that i haven't done i don't know how to hire a children's minister but i need to hire one you know i I don't (laughs) i don't know how to um how to do a lot of those things uh that i think you know everybody's probably done once or twice in their ministry there are a lot of firsts that I still have in front of me. And so while it's exciting to step into that new space and hopefully find those things, it's also 
a little anxious ridden you know wanting to because it feels honestly finding a part-time children's minister or a new choir director i mean it feels like finding a unicorn yeah, somewhere along the way. Like, there's just not that many of them out there. You know, I'm not sure that, um, and I'm not sure any of those online apps that tell me they'll give me qualified candidates in a, in 24 hours are really going to help me find a part-time right. children's minister. Uh, so there's, and that's part of the, that's, but I, I do think that it works that way. And, and, because this is a, I don't know if anybody's out there. I don't even have an idea of who could do it, but I guess this is the point where I just have to put it out in the world and, uh, and let, and, and let God do some of that stuff and see what happens because yeah, there are so many times you just don't expect to, um, to find something and then you put it out there and say, and pray for it and ask God for what you need. And it shows up. Um, right. So I was going to ask you, um, when you've encountered these many first in your life, um, how, how has your faith spoken to those and how has that your faith informed you when the, these first require a decision? I, I think mostly, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I, I've lived a lot of different lives before ministry. I, I, I'm 41 now. I was uh, 33, almost 34, when I decided to officially go into ministry and start seminary. Before that, I'd worked at a couple of different corporate jobs. I'd done youth leader stuff. I'd, I'd done a lot of different things, uh, some good, some not good at all. But, um, <laughs> but during those times and those struggles, as things changed every time that it looked like the ends weren't the, you know, I wasn't going to be able to, to, to get the ends to meet up. There was some sort of, there was a walkway that showed up right, right when I needed it. Mm. And, and so it feels like, you know, it, those moments when you're in between jobs and you don't quite have enough money to pay the power bill. And all of a sudden you, a credit shows up on your power bill that you didn't know was there or where it came from that covers the cost of the, the power for the month. Like, where did that come from? Well, I mean, sure. I'm sure I could go back and figure out what the timing was and how that happened, but I didn't know it was time for that or where it came from. Uh, but I do think it was, it was, god making sure we had what we needed at the time and i think um i think that's what happens as i nowadays begin to encounter these firsts is is just to to remember that the faithfulness of god is a promise from scripture but the faithfulness of god is a promise that i've seen repeated over and over again in my own life as as other paths have changed and as other things have moved forward um, it just feels like God has, has always been there to do that. And so there's no reason for me to think that God won't be there for the next one and the next one after that. Right. And then the struggle can, the internal struggle can be about when we're facing a first or a different situation, 
you know, the, the level of anxiety or apprehension or the, the viewpoint of an unknown, you know, how, how much will we allow that to, um, uh, overtake us, you know, or overwhelm us and, and, and the balance of the faith as well, that trust that, okay, the outcome can be influenced by, you know, me and my decisions and God as well. And having faith as we step into the, into the unknown, it's, you know, it's a religious question. It's also a philosophical question. Yeah. I, I think about that as well. This chair that I'm sitting in, I have a level of degree of faith that it won't break underneath my weight. But I've also sat in a few chairs that broke too. You know? <laughs> so there's that apprehension of like, there's always just a little bit, <laughs> but that, I think that's also been, uh, you know, some of my faith journey, some of those moments of transition were my own fault. <laughs> uh, you know, they were either, uh, me being in a place where it was a bad fit, me making bad choices about, how I was living at the moment and, and what I was, I was doing. Uh, and so it wasn't like, okay, look at me. I'm, I'm doing all these good things and making all these good decisions. I just need an extra, you know, an extra step or two to get me through. A lot of them have come from, from places that I wasn't expecting to be mm. because of how I was doing things, the choices I had made. And yet still, still make it through somehow was, um, I think that's been part of my faith journey that, that, that informs a lot of what I do and the way that I talk to people and the way that, that, um, I interact with, with a lot of people here is that, um, that's even in our confession, which is one of the reasons, you know, why CP means so much to me. Um, I mean, I grew up CP of course, but there's a part in there that, that, uh, talks about how even before we, um, and I'm, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to say it slightly wrong. I'm, so I'm <laughs> paraphrasing here, but that the Holy spirit is, is always working in our lives from, from early on mm. to bring us to points of, uh, to bring us unto God, to, to work in our lives, to, to bring us to a point where we turn ourselves over um, and accept, uh, what Christ has done for us and, and those things. But, and, you know, I think it goes a little further than that too, in that even in the moments and the times where we may feel far away from God, and we may feel like we've screwed everything up that God has done for us and given us, um, that God has not left us in any of those moments <laughs> and has really been working ahead of time, knowing probably in some ways that we might, that's the real philosophical question is, why did God set this up if he knew I was going to screw it up? Uh, so the, you had mentioned earlier that, um, you know, this is a second career for you. Mm -hmm. Um, going back in time, what did the young Matthew dream that the adult Matthew would become? I, and that's a hard question because I've had to th uh, think about it and reflect on it over the years, but when it depends on which young Matthew you're talking about here, <laughs> uh, because if you, if I go back and look at myself in as a, as a kid and in middle school and in high school, um, it's very possible that that kid would 
see this adult that I am now as the pastor of this church and say, oh yeah, that, that makes, that's it. Yeah. I know that. Cause I grew up, I mean, I grew up in church my entire life. I was, like I said, I grew up Cumberland Presbyterian, but my family has lived in this community uh, where, where I grew up at for uh, generations. I was at least the fourth generation just in that church. And I feel like there was probably one before that who was CP <laughs> when they moved. Um, so, and my parents are about as close to clergy as you can get without, <laughs> without go, without taking the dive. You know, I remember <laughs> we were always the first ones there. We lived one mile from the church. So we were quite often the ones who opened the doors and quite often the ones who locked them up after everybody left. I remember countless nights of running around the church with my sister and maybe another kid or two with zero supervision while all our parents were in a committee meeting or something somewhere. You know, I remember all of that being a kid. And of course our church has a Creek that runs on the land right behind it. So, you know, there was a lot of time spent around that water and, and watching it, you know, flow. And so, and as I was always very involved in youth group and stuff. And so I, it, the young, the young me probably would see this coming. It was the college me who probably because he saw it coming, uh, decided to start doing other things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what career paths did you, did you choose? Uh, oh gosh. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, I, uh, in in college i delivered flowers for a little i'll run through the whole thing i delivered flowers for a little while then i worked at several restaurants uh that's when the drug problems started then after i finally got out of that i worked at uh blockbuster for a little while and then uh took a little time off i started teaching uh math in a in a, in a co-op homeschool group high school math because i have a math degree from college uh, so I was able to teach that for a little while. Then I was doing some youth stuff on the side. And then I finally ended up getting a job uh, working for a government contractor where I was, I was helping uh, take and, and make phone calls around this new uh, program that they had to help recruit people into the National Guard. Mm -hmm. That's where I also learned Excel to a ridiculous degree making graphs and charts from all the data that we had there so that they could win an even bigger contract then after that i worked at a children's home where i worked with the uh, transitional living kids the ones who were like 16 and 17 learning how to get jobs as they were about to have to leave the system mm -hmm. uh, so trying to learn how to hang hang for themselves then i left there and went to a software company um and the, my title was data wizard, where I then used my previous jobs, Excel skills to sort and process data into a call center so that people could make phone calls for, was, it, was that your real job title? Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I promise you that that was, that was actually the job title that I applied for and the one I got. Um, and then after that job, um, that's when I looked my wife in the eye. And said, I think I need to go into ministry. And she said, what? Because she had no idea. Huh. So let's uh, slow down here on this yeah. part of your journey. Yeah, that's fine. So you're you're a data wizard. 
Yeah. And um, there was something unfulfilling. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how did you go from data wizard to uh, a call to ministry? Well, it was a, the simplest way to explain this was a software company and they were using me to uh, manually handle data for a new uh, wing they were trying out, a service wing. <clears throat> so I was able to to do all this and, and learn and use Excel and some other tools that I knew. Um, but this company was really good about sitting people down every few months and saying, what can we do for your career path? What career do you see yourself in? And I never had a good answer for it because I, I, I don't think I saw it. And then I knew the ultimate answer working at a software company was that I was going to need to be a programmer, which I probably could have been, but that just didn't feel right uh, with me. Um, seeing the way the other programmers worked, the hours they put in. And I'm just going to be honest. Uh, those those nine to five jobs just just suck the life out of me in the winter in mm. uh, you a lot of you might be able to to connect to this but where i live there's a lot of traffic going up to work in birmingham and so it's not you get there at eight o'clock it's you leave your house at six or six fifteen before the sun comes up get to your job at six forty five to beat the traffic work till 4 30 uh and then leave there and come home trying to beat the traffic but the thing is in the dead of winter it's leave in the dark get there in the dark work in the fluorescent lights finish what you're doing leave in the dark go home in the dark you know and, two months of no sun and just for you, and for you that was that was not fulfilling no no it, it wasn't um but I mean, there's a big leap between being a data wizard and an ordained minister. <laughs> I mean, that's not as big as you think. Uh, but I think that was what started the process is it didn't feel fulfilling at the time. The feeling trapped in a place when there's so much more life out there. A lot of the other experiences I've had, being a, a youth pastor at a couple of different times, um, being connected to some of the groups I was connected to in, in my early college years, um, that really, you know, were deep, uh, and, uh, Bible studies and book studies that I did with a very close group of friends. Uh, one of whom is also a minister to this day. And, um, I think actually one day I called that, I called him and said, uh, hey, I have a job that's not far from your church. We should go get lunch sometime. And we did a couple of times. And then one day he looked me in the face and said, when are you going to come back into ministry? Because uh, about 10 years before that, I had started the path of doing it and then left that path to take on the other job and do some of the other things that I did. So the idea was there. It just, I wasn't excited about it at any of those other times. Um, but once that last job fell through and I started to think more about why it was unfulfilling and what kinds of things I did find fulfilling, uh, it was, it was all in the, uh, in the realm of, of church in the realm of ministry. It was always the place I felt at home, the, 
the fact that uh, that one of the facts that ministers deal with all the time that a lot of people actually hate is the fact that you often don't know what you're going to get from one day to another. Hmm. You know, one day you need to be stuck in an office uh, writing up a sermon. The next day you might need to rush to a hospital uh, with someone. And then the day after that, you might be having to lead someone's funeral, somebody you knew or didn't know, you know, it's just, it's a, it, it varies from day to day. There's a lot of things out there and that variation is actually something I enjoy quite a bit. So yeah, yeah. there is, and, quite. and, and computer programmers have not as much variation in their lives as you might think. <laughs> yeah. Having the variety and the excitement of the unknown, what each day will bring, uh, can be very fulfilling, especially when you're connecting it to your faith. Yeah. You alluded to um, a minister friend of yours. Um, who are some of the folks who've influenced your journey along your way, just in life, in terms of your life journey? Um, I, there are so many. Um, this, is the, this is the other weird part about going into ministry, why I should have seen it coming. I cannot tell you how many friends that my parents had and how many ministers I knew just personally who were not ministers of my church, but ministers <laughs> I just knew uh, over the years. I've just known so many of them. Um, but I, I would probably say there are two uh, individuals that probably have been the most important to my life journey. Uh, one was uh, in the late high school time frame, or just after high school, really, uh, was uh, a minister named uh, Mark Weldon. Uh, I know some people may may know him, may remember him. He is extremely musical. He was very he was a, he he thought very deeply about the the scriptures that we had about the books that we would read together in the college bible study group that we he had put together um it was with him that uh started you know singing along in a praise and worship band that we had put together and he did all that and that's where i learned a lot of stuff about sound equipment and and how to be part of that sort of ministry but i think with with him it was just the the being allowed to, to think deeply, uh, to meditate on not just scripture, but on, on, on what other, you know, we look at a book that's connected to it and talking about it. And, and we read several different books that looked deeply into, uh, faith. And I, I think I really connected, I, probably one of the ones I connected with the most was we read through and a uh, study of the, the ragamuffin gospel, uh, that I think a lot of people read during that time frame. Um, and I think that opened me up to, to letting, um, letting God love me as me, where I am, um, instead of kind of staying away because I wasn't perfect enough or good enough. And, uh, you know, I think that was, that was one of the, and that stuck with me over the years too. Uh, and then the, the minister who was in that group, that Bible study group was, uh, was Derek Jacks. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't out him as my friend. Some, <laughs> he might not like it so much. <laughs> well, Derek, he's, he's a previous guest on Cumberland road. So yeah, folks can uh, uh, 
folks can listen to that episode and check that check that but out. I, we i think we shared a, a uh he, he you know he stayed the road he went into ministry you know straight through stayed with it and i was the one that started the path and then jumped off the boat and uh jumped for this reason or for that reason looking for something that may be more fulfilling than what that would bring but he was always a rock that went that direction but he's always been a friend of mine who i could talk to no matter where i was i think he was one of the ones he's the one who i had lunch with that told me i needed to come back into ministry or asked when i was doing it so he's just kind of always seen it in me and um and those those sorts of moments you know can help you see yourself better than you 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 did before when, when somebody can see you like that and know you and uh you know we're still friends to this day at least i, I hope we are <laughs> well it can be uh it can be unnerving to have you know a friend kind of place you into the into the reality that we sometimes <laughs> avoid yeah but I, I mean that's you need that some too Right, right. Um, I think there's some accountability that comes along with that. It's encouragement, but in account- accountability as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking at um, your faith today, how would you describe it? I mean, how do you know that the presence of God is is with you, Matthew? Uh, the way you phrase that question uh, is an interesting, interesting one. How do I know that the presence of God is with me? Uh, I, I, I think I see it. Um, I, I see it in, in the people in the, in the congregation. Um, you know, I, and maybe this is my own anxiety speaking at times, but you know, when, when you write us, when you read some scripture and you write a sermon about it and you stand up in front of a group to speak it, there can, in many cases, give you that feeling of am i am i did i hear god correctly is this the message that god is asking me to give to this congregation today uh and there are days where you know uh you don't get it all the time but uh there are days when you have people who will come up afterwards or reach out to you later and and talk about how what you said connected with them and that's either and that can be on one of the days where you thought you hit it out of the park or one of the days where you thought you couldn't right. string a sentence together uh, right. or and when, when they, you real when you have days like that you know that seemed so contrasting and yet you still have people who heard something from god through through what you may have said that day then, then you know god must have been there with you in that moment right. it wasn't about me and my performance or my thoughts it was it was something of god that was presented in that moment so God's presence was made available to others uh, in spite of who Matthew is. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, how about um, recognizing God's presence, God's grace out in the world? You know, right now, we have parts of the world that are experiencing war and trauma and disruption not that that has it's always been that way but in terms of not focusing on 
just all negative. I mean, what words of encouragement do you have for others who, who may be seeking for something, seeking a presence, a grace, a love that the world is not offering? You know, uh, the encouragement that, uh, that I, that I, I take from it and I get from it is, um, we were talking about this a little bit. I was talking about this a little bit yesterday, but when, when you have a moment where, you know, like I said earlier, I've lived, I've had many different jobs and careers. I feel like I've lived very many different lives throughout the 41 years that I've been blessed to be here so far. Um, and I think in living in those places and the different people that I ran into and the different people that I was have, have kind of given me a, a an understanding of what it's like to, to be that kind of outsider. Mm-hmm. And I think the encouragement that, that I've always taken from that is, or at least the lesson that I've always taken from that is, is to try and make sure that whoever it is and whatever bumper stickers they have showing or whatever red flags they might try to, to wave in front of your face. Um, often it, when you take the time to try and talk to someone and just listen to their story, who they are, where they've come from, how they have experienced or not experienced God in a conversation between two people, the the problems of the world seem to not enter into a one-on-one reaction that often we're two people trying to figure out what one another's lives are like. Uh, we're trying to figure out, you know, what what tomorrow will bring for us in this particular time and place that we live in. And often, the concerns and the cares that we share that are more alike than they are different uh, have more to do with friends, with family, with, with just making it through another day. Most of their cares and concerns in front of us are exactly the same and they're rarely uh, political and they're rarely world changing. Um, We can get overwhelmed with all those other things, but if we, can take the time to actually talk to one another um listen to we'll, we'll find we're, we're more the same than we are different and um and i think that's that's that might be one of the things that people are, are looking for the most is that yeah our, our world is so uh so crazy especially not just in the wars but in our political discourses and our religious discourses at times but there are people who are seeking to hear something to Mm -hmm. find something more um and if we in the church uh, can be the kind of place where people can come uh feel like they can belong feel like they are loved and i think nowadays more than ever maybe even uh a place where they can come and and share their their doubts with with how they feel about what they hear about god yeah. uh, or maybe even what they've learned at another place that has has hurt them in some ways like this these doors this place 
should be a place where questions can be asked. Um, if the if the psalmist can go to God and say, "Why have you forsaken me?" Then I think somebody should be able to come in this church and uh, and ask why this happened to them or why God let this happen to them, uh, and express that doubt and even that anger in many cases, but be able to find a community that can love them through it and and even not have all the answers. So let's talk about church and the people aspect of the church and the community of faith. Matthew, what is the church getting right? And what is the church we, the community of faith, missing? There's so many things that we often do right. I think often the things that we do right get uh get buried by an onslaught of one-offs and social media outrages and and stories of churches that aren't connected to really the church community that we know and love and those those bad things get connected to you know you can have one church that gets uh, accused of of multiple different uh terrible things and then now you can have people who think that every church has those things going on in them and and i think that's what our where our focus gets but i think we do in so many ways do so many things right uh by by caring for one another um and, and you know in in just this community and my church and i know this happens in all sorts of other churches but you know when someone's sick you know we deliver you know food to them we 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 spend our time and energy trying to create a place where people can come and and worship god and that's that's no small feat um that that's that's not something just to take for granted mm-hmm. um we have a place to do it we have a group of people that are connected enough even if they are different from one another where we can come and, uh, and worship together. And I, I think that's the kind of stuff that the church gets right. Uh, you know, I've always liked that message. And I say this almost every time we do a communion is, is to thank God for this symbol, for this act, because this act is, has been done by Christians of every race, of every denomination, of every time and place for over 2,000 years, all going back to the first time that it was offered from Jesus to his disciples. That's a level of connection and connectedness that you can only get from something like the church. And yes, we can be different and do different things and even at times believe slightly different things or read things differently but we are still connected um and when we're able to live in that reality that's the kind of thing we do right and i think that's the kind of thing that the people that people need the mm-hmm. place where they can feel connected and loved i think um there are a lot of people out in the world they're just too many voices and they just feel isolated from their friends from their families um 
the church does it right when we connect one another. And I think on the flip side of that, that's the thing that the church does wrong at times is, is to try to decide who is right and who is wrong and which kind of church does it better than another kind of church. And you need to worship different or you need to think different or that church isn't this or that or fill in the blank. Mm. Um, but we still worship the same God and uh, we still follow the same Christ and we still offer the invitation for people to come and meet a God who loves them, a God whose image they bear. That's, that's where the church can get stuff, right? We get it. We get it wrong when we, when we fight each other too much. Do you have any advice on how to celebrate the little things that, and the big things that we as a community of faith gets right? You had mentioned earlier that we often overlook and they get buried. How do we recognize, not for an ego boost, but just to acknowledge that we are living out as the body of Christ? Um. I've thought I've thought about this quite a bit, and um, as you're thinking, I'll give a I'll give a thought. I I think oftentimes, you know, with a local church, local congregation, we spend so much on like building up to the next event, the next celebration, where it is, how grand it's going to be, how you need to be there. But then after that event and that celebration, we rarely kind of like go back and sort of discern and talk about the event and what worked and what didn't, what was joyous, what could be improved upon. And I think that that's an area that we can celebrate to go, hey, do you realize that we accomplished this great Easter celebration and through worship and a meal and, you know, all these activities. And we were able to do it with 10 volunteers or 80 volunteers and just kind of, you know, acknowledge that. And we were able to touch many lives, you know, and invite them. They got to experience the life of the community of faith. I think those are things that we can, we can do better at and we can do more of. Yeah. I see that. I, I also, uh, this is, you know, part of the answer to it is, um, not forget to be grateful for, for the people mm-hmm. and, and, and the time and the money that we were able to, to put into a task. Right. Uh, I, <laughs> funny, funny story at, um, I, I'm gonna try not to out. I, I, I was at a church one time. And, um, there was an event that took place and there were four people who really had put the whole thing together. It was fairly early in my tenure and I was uncertain of everyone's name. So I mentioned the one that I knew well, and then basically said, and others, 
you know, and the others of you who also helped kind of thing, like just trying, I was trying to thank them. Thank you to this person and the others of you, you know, just a, you know, a simple gesture. Uh, and then I had a lady after church come and talk to me and say that I really should have made sure to name everyone and thank them personally. Hmm. Uh, and she got on to me a little bit. It might not have been right after church. It might've been like a week later where she's like, you know, so-and-so had their feelings hurt a little bit because you didn't mention their name. Just make sure you mention everybody's name every time. And I took that to heart. I listened and said, you know what? You're right. Uh, I know that there's a, there's a part of us in church that, that tends to, to, to not celebrate. We're not trying to, we, we don't do these things so we can have our, our own horns tooted, you know, we're working together and uh, we're, we're working together in this church thing. And we want to, um, and we don't want to do it for our own accolades. I think, you know, too often we bring up, you know, some of the scriptures uh, from, that where Jesus, you know, talks about not letting your right hand know what your your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that, uh, you know, if you, if you do it to be lauded, as soon as, you know, someone brings it up and thanks you for it, you've received your reward in full. And I think that's the way a lot of people take it sometimes. And so want to be more anonymous and we are in a church as a, a team. Sometimes it's, it, it feels like we pulled that off real good job team and let's get ready to do it again. Uh, but I've tried to get better at making sure that, um, that everyone is aware of who, of, of who the, the group was or the person was who is willing to be a part of this. Um, yeah, for instance, our, our, our pianist here, uh, the other day, uh, broke her wrist. Hmm. And so we've had to have people fill in and they've enjoyed filling in as far as I can tell they're, they're doing us a real solid, but I've tried to make sure to thank them at every chance, not just me personally to them, uh, but to the whole congregation. I want the congregation to know the kind of work they've put into this and the kind of, and how they've stepped up to help us out in these moments. And, um, and I think those should be things that we mentioned from pulpits. And I'm sure there's probably some ministers who will listen to this, who are just not along. Like, yeah, of course you're supposed to always do that. How did you not know that? <laughs> uh, I, like I said, I'm willing to learn, but the thing is, I, I think we should do that more often throughout, not just the pastor acknowledging those things, but uh, create, uh, you know, creating a, um, a culture of people in your church who are grateful to one another for the work they do in the church. Uh, you know, yeah. to have the parents thank the Sunday school teachers, you know, to, to have the kids thank the people who fed them a meal, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And that, that becomes a, it's, it's part of the teaching It's part of a, it's a very Southern thing too, you know, to make sure your kids say please and thank you and all that kind of stuff. But uh, when we're grateful to one another for the things we've done for one another, uh, then we begin to celebrate ourselves and and the community that we have here, uh, and we all enjoy being part of it. And I think it ends up helping us be drawn into it. And then uh, sometimes it is worthwhile to pat each other on the back when we, you know, 
have a coat drive and get way more coats than we expected. You know? Right, right, right. Matthew, I've enjoyed our time together and then get to know you much better. Um, folks who are listening, if they wanted to reach out to you and, and learn more about you and your faith journey, be part of your faith journey, where do you want to point them to? Um, I, I think the easiest place uh, is just going to be, um, well, not everybody, as you've told me earlier, not everyone has Facebook, uh, <laughs> but the church uh, Facebook page is a really good way to get a hold of me. So, it, and that's, uh, you know, Facebook slash FPC Alabaster. Don't forget the dot com, Facebook.com slash FPC Alabaster. Uh, if you also just want to email me about something, you can always email uh, me at like pastor at FPC Alabaster dot org org i just i've had multiple people i've told that to and said be very careful with the org because if you forget it it ain't gonna make it to me and then have them call me a day later and be like your email address is wrong and only to have them say i mailed it to fpcalabaster.com don't do that it won't come to me it's fpcalabaster.org <laughs> well i appreciate it now folks who are listening if they want to reach out to you, they know how to get in touch with you and learn more about you and your faith journey and be a part of it. Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for the, the new uh, job title, Data Wizard. I don't yeah, know. It was, <laughs> it was may, legit. That may be the title of uh, our conversation for this podcast, Matthew Ingram, Data Wizard. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> And thank you for those who've been listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with me on the next journey down Cumberland Road. <laughs>